to speak to you from God's word. And if you find that anything said here this evening is in contradiction with that, I ask that you bring that to my attention so we can study those things further. With that in mind, I ask that you go ahead and open your Bibles and turn to Revelation, the 21st chapter. Revelation 21. We'll be reading the first eight verses, and there's some a specific idea here that I want to spend some time considering this evening. Revelation 21 and verse 1, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Here in verse 7 is specifically the idea that we're going to talk about for a little bit tonight. We're going to be talking about overcoming sin. I'll preface the rest of this sermon saying, Dan and I didn't, didn't talk about what we were preaching today, so we aren't trying to make a point here. It's just a coincidence. But this topic is a very important one because it's something that is polluted the world that we live in. It, it encapsulates us all the time. Kind of think of it like a, a deep fog that, that's kind of come around us, you know, it's just, you, you can't really, sometimes it's hard to see past all the sin and ungodliness in the world. We were referencing this morning, you know, it, it's in the, in the television shows that we watch, and even more than that, it's even in the commercials, and it's just all around us. It's very important that we understand how we can overcome the sin that surrounds us all the time. So that's the question we're going to be asking tonight. So as we seek to overcome sin, I think it's important that we first understand what sin is. We have these lists, like here in Revelation 21, verse 8, where it, it listed out various sins, and, and we have that in other places like Colossians five and, and Gla- or Colossians 3 and Galatians 5. And the world sometimes gets this misconception about sin, that sin is only what the Bible says is wrong, is only specifically what the Bible lists as being a sin, like in those places. Well, the Bible says more than that. In First John chapter three, First John chapter three and verse four, it says, "Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness." And the New Living Translation renders this verse as, "Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God." Sin is the actions that we commit, any action that is in contradiction with the written word. We don't have every right and every wrong written in the Bible that we can do, but we have a pattern for how we should live our lives 
And to understand what sin is, we need to understand that it is the actions that we do that aren't in accordance with the will of God that we have written here. So with that understanding of what sin is, we need to recognize that sin is a choice. It's a result of giving into desire. If you would open to James chapter 1, James the first chapter, the, the writer writes about this a little bit here. James chapter 1 in verse 13. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. We first need to understand that temptation does not come from God. God can't be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anybody with evil. But temptation comes, as it says here, when we're drawn away by our desires and enticed. Enticed is the idea of being caught by them. And this word is translated from the Greek word epithemia, which is the same word used in 1 John 2, verse 16, which is translated as lust. That verse says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. This lust here is categorized as something of the world, and I think that's what it's talking about here in James chapter 1. It's these worldly desires that draw us away from God. This is what temptation is that leads to sin. And then verse 15 here in chapter James says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, this desire, while it is something of the world, the desire in and of itself does not have to be sinful. I, I was, as I was thinking about this, you know, our sports and extracurricular activities, our desire to do those things is not sinful. So uh, how I kind of pictured this is, it, it's, is it's like when you go fishing. You know, when you go fishing, you cast a hook out into the water, but what do you put on the hook? You put a bait, you put a lure to catch the fish's attention, right? So, so it, similarly, we don't, uh, commonly the devil uses something that's not sinful in and of itself to draw us away from the paths of righteousness, right? So like maybe with our sports and stuff, maybe we start to have games and, and such on Sundays and Wednesdays and it starts to interfere with our service to God. And we start, you know, well, it's okay now. So, we, so our desire to play that sport or our desire at our jobs, you know, to take that promotion where you might be missing church a little more for, for your job. The desire to work is not bad. We're told to have that desire. But, but once it comes, you know, to, to contradict, you know, what we're supposed to be doing, supposed to be meeting with the brethren and stuff, that's what leads to sin. So we need to recognize that sin is a choice. It's a choice that we have to make. And it comes as a result of desire. So to control our desires, we need to change our mindsets. We are not to have a worldly mindset. We mentioned earlier, First John chapter 2. Verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We're not to have a worldly mindset. But rather in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As Christians, we're to have our minds transformed. They're to be renewed. So instead of being focused on the world, we're told in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. 
And in the Matthew chapter 6 and verse 20, it says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. We're to change our mindset from the things of the world, and we're to focus on things above. We're to look unto Jesus and do away with those thoughts in the world. Why? Well, in 1 John chapter 2 again, in verse 17, it says, And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So to overcome sin, we must change our mindset. Our minds must be renewed and be transformed. And as we seek to change our mindset, we also must not linger in ungodliness. If you would open to the first Psalms. <coughs> Psalm chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Verse 1 here specifically is kind of what we're talking about. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the path of the sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of the scornful. He doesn't linger in these sinly, you know, these sinful things. He doesn't linger in this ungodliness. We understand that sometimes that's easy to do. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to, to, to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Again, the idea, ungodliness is all around us. There are many going down the path of ungodliness. The straight and narrow is sometimes more difficult, but that's the way we need to be going. We can't allow ourselves to linger in the ways of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we talked about this a couple weeks ago during our meeting. The Apostle Paul in the, in the chapters around this, he's talking about some concepts of idolatry and eating the meats offered to idols and stuff. Well, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, which we referenced this morning, talks about how God will make a way of escape for temptation. For the Corinthian brethren, their temptation was this idolatry. And in verse 14, he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He doesn't tell them to, you know, slowly work your way out of it. Don't, don't, you know, take one step at a time. He says, run away from it. Get away from the idolatry. And the same can be said of the things that tempt us. Don't linger in those things. Don't get as close to those things as you can, but rather flee from them. Get away from them. And this can also involve ungodly people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, we're told, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Well, why does that matter? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. 
the people we're around will have an effect on us. And, and if we're spending the majority of our time with people of the world, they're going to start to corrupt the good habits that we have as Christians. We must not linger in ungodliness. But rather, we should be rooting ourselves in a close relationship with God. Back in the first psalm in verse 3, it talks about the righteous man. It says, he shall, be pl- he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. As I think about that image, I think about walking, you know, along some flowing water. And it says, if you're walking in the waters down below here, and you can look across and you can see the trees growing on the shore, and the water's eroded away the dirt a little bit, and you can see the intricate root systems of those trees and how it grows into the ground, how it grows towards the water. And you can tell just by seeing the little bit of the roots that, that has been eroded at, you can tell that that tree's not going to be coming out of the ground, right? It's planted firmly there. Well, how can we plant ourselves in that relationship with God? Well, we need to be consuming his word, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. And in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, we reference this this morning also. Jesus, when he was being tempted by the devil to one of the temptations, he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's more to life than the things of the earth. We need to be hungering and thirsting after the word of God. And we're told in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We need to be seeking to root ourselves in that relationship with God through consuming his word. And we should also be doing this through prayer. In 1 Chronicles, we should be seeking God through prayer. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11, it says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16 and through 18. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then in James chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's this thing, there's this process that plants go through. It's called phototropism. It's when a plant grows towards a light. And there's, there's videos of it I've seen in the past where there's somebody will put a plant in a dark room and they'll have one light and that light source, the plant will grow towards the light source. Wherever the light moves to, the plant will begin to grow in that direction. So the reason why I think of that is the, ro- the plant's still growing down. It's still taking the nutrients out of the soil and out of the water that, that you water it with. But it's also growing towards the light. We should be getting down into the deep depths of God's word, but also we should be reaching out to him, seeking him through the prayer, growing towards him, growing towards the light. A tree, while it's growing up, it also grows down. We need to be growing into God's word and seeking him in prayer. We should be seeking to root ourselves in this close relationship with God. And as we do that, we need to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 It says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? We need to be examining ourselves. But how do we examine ourselves? How do we do it? Well, let's turn back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 talks about this a little bit. In this first chapter, he's talking about the hearer of the word and, and the doer of the word. They're two different things. 
right? And, and in verse 22, he talks about, or in verse 23, he talks about how the hear of the word. He's like a man who goes to a mirror, he observes his face, and he walks away, and he forget, has forgotten what he has seen. And then in verse 25, it says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. We're to examine ourselves. Use the perfect law of liberty to examine yourselves. Because we know it's power. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you look into the word of God with a pure and honest heart, and you're real with yourself, your sin will be made known. The things that you might be hiding will be made known. And if you find those, acknowledge those things. Acknowledge them through confession. In Leviticus chapter 5, in the beginning of this chapter, Moses is talking to the people, and he delivers some of the law to them here. And in verse 5 he says, And it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. So they should confess then. And we're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know David did this. In the 32nd Psalm, in verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Like David, we should have this transparency of God, or transparency with God. We see that David confessed, and he had confidence that God forgave. If we confess our sins, we too can have the confidence that God will forgive our sins. But we have to stop hiding our sins from ourselves. We have to stop lying to ourselves and justifying the sin. Quit making it okay that there's sin in your life, but rather do away with the sin. As we read before in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Examine yourself. If there is sin, acknowledge it and confess it and do away with the sin. Turn from it completely. But as we examine ourselves, we should also be looking for our weaknesses and the places where the devil will attack us. We talked about that this morning. The devil is always on the hunt. So we need to be ready and on guard. As we read this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it tells us what to do about that. It says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on God's armor. Be ready. The devil is on the hunt, but he won't get you if you're ready. Be ready because he will seek you out if you aren't. And we always need to be looking for the way of escape. As we've read before, it, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6, the people are told, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you 
nor forsake you. Seek to be in this close relationship with God. Because once we're in that relationship with God, he won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He won't let the devil tempt us beyond what we were able. He will make a way of escape, and we will be able to bear it. We need to overcome our sins. And a few more thoughts before we close. We need to understand that our sin has consequences. There's a number that we could talk about, but most importantly, our sin will separate us from God. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. And we're told in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wage of sin is death. Sin will separate us from God for eternity if we don't turn from it. As we read before in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Our sin will lead to hellfire if we, aren't, if we don't take action. And the unfortunate reality is that all accountable people will give in to sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. We all sin, and our individual sins will separate us from God. We know in Romans chapter 3 verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, it says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's some tough stuff to chew right there. If we, sin, if we say that we don't have sin, say that we haven't sinned, not only are we deceiving ourselves, but we're saying God is a liar. Now, a, a, a note on this. This isn't just saying that as Christ, you know, as a human race, we're going to continually sin and sin, and we don't have control over that. There's a common misconception that people have that they say, you know, sin is a part of life, and that's just how it is, and, and it's just going to happen, and, you know, that's just how it is. So God will forgive us, but, you know, it's, it, it'll just happen. Well, remember, we talked about sin as a choice. We have to choose to sin. As I was talking about this with my dad, he, he brought out a point that I re- remembered hearing in a class in the past that it was actually Brett had used it. And, and it would go something along the lines of, you know, can you go 30 seconds without sinning? Can you make it that long? How about one minute? Maybe two? How about five minutes? If you go five minutes, you think you could go a whole hour? If you can make it that hour? Can you make it one day? Maybe a week? Could you make it a month? How about a year? We choose to sin. We don't have to give in to sin. So the question that we have to answer is, will we overcome our sins? We cannot hide our sins. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's no hiding our sins from God. 
Our sins will find us out. We can lie all we want. We can, we can try to hide our sins from ourselves all we want. But one day, God will come and judgment will be here. And the things that we haven't corrected, we will give account of them to God. Are you ready to give that account? Have you overcome your sins? Or do you still need to overcome them? If you've never taken on Christ in baptism, you know, you're, you're in the similar situation in, that the men were in in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The same was true then as it is today. If you've been taken on Christ, you need to repent of your sins. You need to be buried into baptism. And you'll rise up, your sins forgiven. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which will lead to salvation. If you've done that, and you've fallen away, we've talked about it. Examine yourself. Look, see if there's sin, and acknowledge it through confession. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord desires our repentance. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord desires you to come to him. He wants you to overcome your sins. Tonight I want to close reading the same text that we, we began this study. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read these eight verses, and as we read them, Think about this. If Jesus were to come again tonight, would you have overcome your sins? Or would you be part of the group that, that, that has the lake that burns with fire and brimstone waiting for him? Think about that as we, as we read this to close. Beginning of chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We can help you if we can serve you. Won't you please come forward now while together we stand and sing. Uh -huh.